Welcome to Mimi UU. I'm Mimi Nicklin, the host of the show. This podcast is anonymous and it's audio only without names to protect from unconscious bias or judgment and to allow true empathy to grow. The goal of the show is to share diverse stories from around the world by giving people a platform to share openly so that other people like you can understand diverse realities from around the globe. We exist to create empathy and not just talk about it. Welcome to Me, Me, You, You. Hello and welcome back to Me, Me, You, You. The goal of this show, as you know, is to share diverse stories from people worldwide by giving them the platform to share openly and anonymously so that other people, just like you, can understand some diverse realities from around the world. Before I tell you about the content of the show today, I want to ask my guest if she's comfortable with this environment, this space to share her story. By sharing, you help others understand diverse and different viewpoints, and it is very anonymous. I just want to check that you're happy to share your story openly today. I am Mimi, yes, no problem. Wonderful. As we see the world changing so much since 2020, and there's so much discussion around nomadic life, around working remotely from a beach in Bali or a city in Latin America, everybody wants to go remote and live around the world. And suddenly expat life has become more prominent and talked about than ever before. But there is sometimes a darker side, a more real side that perhaps isn't covered in the media, isn't covered alongside the pictures of beautiful beaches and gleaming swimming pools. And that today is the core of our story. So thank you very much for joining. Let's begin at the beginning and understand your motivation for joining Mimi, you, you today. Why are you here to share your story? Uh, Well, I think it's an important message given, as you say, the global trend for uh mobility and and working overseas and I guess you know from my perspective the impact that's had on my life um and you know some of the darker sides as you said of of what's involved with that I think is important for people to understand or consider when making those decisions as well um yeah tell us a little bit how how long have you lived this life, this expat or nomadic life? Um, And where did it all begin? Uh, I first started my expat journeys, I suppose, with migration to Australia when I was 21 (laughs) um, and settled and and married an Australian man. Um, He then went on to pursue a career in diplomacy and we ended up becoming uh, diplomats and had two postings in uh, India and one in Sri Lanka. Um, And I was considered the trailing spouse, as it were, for for both of those, um, sorry, all three of those those, uh, postings. And for so many people, that is the dream. I myself have often thought, oh, if only I had become a diplomat, (laughs) I could have traveled the world far easily than I've, I've taken the path myself. But as you touched on in the introduction, that's not always as easy as it might seem to be a trailing spouse. So let's start there. 
for anyone that doesn't understand the term, what does it mean? And then what did it mean for you, your lifestyle, your career choices? What did that trailing spouse identity mean for you as a woman? Well, I think initially, you know, as um, someone who'd been a working professional all of her life, it seemed very glamorous um, to be whisked off into this posting overseas and all the excitement and privilege and everything that that would bring and the pursuit of travel and freedom to do or pursue some of my own passions. But what I discovered ultimately was that my professional identity was more important to me, I think, than I realized. And after that initial kind of honeymoon phase of the posting, you start to, I think, question meaning and purpose. And there are only so many coffee mornings I felt that I could attend or, and I was in a particularly difficult country where it wasn't so easy to access, you know, more Western sorts of activities and um, lots of challenges in terms of environment and logistics. Um, so it, it became quite quickly quite difficult in that I'd lost my professional identity and I'd lost my sense of meaning and purpose. Um, I had enjoyed a few months of, of freedom and travel and exploration, but then it became, you know, more of a, a point of darkness for me you know I, I became quite depressed um, I found that the whole environment or the expat environment whilst very privileged and glamorous also has its downsides in that you are enabled in, in many ways to engage in things that aren't necessarily so healthy um, so for example lots of lots of parties lots of cocktail parties and I observed um, in many, many people excessive drinking of alcohol you know, on a regular basis and myself included because along with the expat lifestyle often comes that um, access to support in the home around babysitting and cleaning and you know, all of those duties that we, those functional kind of duties that we have in the home suddenly are removed. Uh, so you have this, you know, greater capacity for engaging in more hedonistic pursuits. And I think, you know, whilst, again, that is a lot of fun, it, it also is very damaging. And, it, and ultimately, for me, it had quite dire consequences that, you know, have impacted the rest of my life. And let's unpack that a little bit, because, you know, we often hear this about sort of the, the rich and famous celebrities, right? They, mm -hmm. they have some of the same challenges that you've mentioned there, that it looks very glamorous, that, you know, you're at constant parties. And as you just touched on, surrounded by cocktails and diplomats and, and things which to, you know, sort of um, other people might seem to be, you know, very glamorous, very exciting, um, you know, a very sort of high life. Obviously, we all know what happens when you drink a lot. Um, but when you talk about, you know, the dark side of that and it being unhealthy for people, what did you mm -hmm. see happening to people as they spend more and more time, you know, surrounding themselves in this full-on hedonistic lifestyle? Well, I think the consequences are multifaceted. Um, it obviously depends on the individual and their circumstances. But certainly, you know, what, what I saw and experienced myself was... Uh, several marriages break down, including my own. 
Um, I had a very close friend who also was in the same situation. Her husband had an affair, unfortunately. And I think, you know, these things are more easily facilitated in that, you know, you're constantly engaging in being social. Um, there's not so much focus on family life per se. It becomes more about being social and hedonistic. And with that sort of excessive consumption of alcohol, and hedonism comes, you know, a loss of inhibition and people act and do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. It's it's almost like a regression of behaviour to, to being in your 20s again or what you'd expect of someone, you know, single and in their 20s. Um, so certainly, you know, observed a lot of inappropriate behaviours, um, lots of people losing control in ways that they probably wouldn't do in in their home country and certainly not on such a regular basis um yeah but what it what it meant for me ultimately was that sadly my husband did engage in an affair that that um spanned across uh, the two postings that we had in india um and uh, that was a, a three-year um, thing that he had entered into and I, I really didn't have any idea that it was happening and, and obviously, you know, massive betrayal and deeply, um, deeply upsetting after a 20-year relationship to be subjected to something like that but also in not being in your home country, not being around your normal support networks or systems that can help you through such a terrible uh, experience in your life. It was, um, the grief of that was immense um, and feeling very unsupported um, because I think for me as an expat, I'd also, as I'd already mentioned, lost my professional identity. I wasn't working um, I felt very unsafe in that regard too, that, you know, I'd suddenly lost my marriage and had given up my career in favour of my, my partners. Um, and what did that then look like for me? What was I going to do? And I had these three small children to think of and um, it wasn't as easy as picking them up and relocating back home to Australia with the schooling and parenting responsibilities and you know, so many consequences that um, came from, from this particular event in my life. And going through uh, a betrayal, um, you know, an affair that, that you described then, going through that, as as you mentioned, is, is deeply traumatic for any woman or, or man in any relationship anywhere. But you've mm -hmm. touched there on a, a really... I guess, interesting theme, which is that you had to do it all alone because you weren't at home. You weren't surrounded by the people that normally when we have difficult times, we revert to, which is, of course, our families. So help people understand what that's like. Why couldn't you just pack a suitcase and, and go home? Why was that not possible? Because for people that haven't lived that life, that may be something that they find hard to understand. Yes. Well, I think... Uh, in my particular circumstances, it was more complex because I had three young children. So it wasn't as easy as packing a suitcase and taking myself off home. I had schooling and education and 
um, housing considerations and all those sorts of things. And also, you know, that, that parenting responsibility, that deep sense of injustice that, you know, why should I return home with three children and be a single parent by myself with full responsibility for the care of these children? That wasn't what I signed up for, you know, when, when I went into parenting with this life partner who had now betrayed me so badly. Um, and I think, you know, the impact was particularly difficult for the reasons I mentioned that I'd already lost so much of my sense of self and identity in giving up my own career and my own daily routine and was already feeling a bit lost in terms of what is my place here. And I think uh, in, in the line of work that I do, I've certainly seen that a lot with expats or trailing spouses that they quickly can become quite depressed um, when the reality of, of settling in, in a foreign country settles in, when they realize that they don't have that normal daily routine. And I think routine is just so important. Routine, meaning, purpose, all those things are so important and valuable for human beings. Um, otherwise, you know, what's what gets you out of bed in the morning? And that's what I, I saw a lot of, you know, we're basically people becoming functioning alcoholics, you know, these late nights, um, drinking, socializing, the children go off to school in the morning and, and mum or dad is then, you know, in bed for most of the day recovering from the night before and then it, it all happens again the next night. Um, and it's a, a difficult cycle for people to break out of because there, there's, there is no job for them to get up for. There is no, you know, specific meaning or purpose to keep them engaged in, in, in healthy activity. So it's a, it's a downward spiral, I think, that can get very dark very quickly. Um, and certainly for me, you know, really did lead to quite a, a loss of sense of self, as I mentioned, and a, a deep and dark depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty and fear about what did this now mean for my future? You know, I... I was married to a diplomat. I, you know, was middle-aged and suddenly finding myself alone in a foreign country with the major burden of having to make a decision about what was going to be best for my family, um, as well as coping with that deep sense of loss and grief and betrayal. It was a very difficult time. Um, and one of the things that, that strikes me so much about your story is that, of course, you're a mother. So you have two sides of, of that, as you've touched on. You know, there's you as a woman, you've mentioned, you feel that you or you felt that you had lost your sense of identity. You know, you weren't working, you were a wife, but now the husband, you know, is, is behaving in a way that is breaking that role as well. But on the other hand, you have your children, you're looking for their education, their consistency, their routine. So if we go back to the, the weeks and months after you found out about the affair and, and you're in this environment, you're torn, you, you don't know what mm -hmm. to do. How, how did you get through that? What did you do next? You know, it was extremely difficult, Mimi, because I felt stuck. I, you know, I was in survival mode. 
I really didn't know what was best for me or for the children at that point in time. So I made the decision to remain and co-parent. Um, and for a good period of time, we were residing under the same roof uh, in India, uh, despite being a separated couple. And of course, um, my story was quite complex in that, uh, unfortunately, my husband's affair partner didn't take the breakdown of their relationship very well and then stalked and harassed me um, and made my life very difficult um, as well from, you know, a different perspective. But then he was also engaging in multiple other relationships post that. Um, and I look back on that time and think, what what did make me stay? What made me sit and witness that? You know, what what was it in me that didn't have the strength to to say I'm worth more than this? Um, and I still don't really have the answer to that. I think it it was really just a question of um, having to take a leap of faith because I remember for the longest time being just stuck in this huge dilemma around what's right here where is home I'm British I grew up in England then I moved to Australia then India then Sri Lanka where is home for me and these children and do I want to parent them all by myself um, and at that time the answer was was no but it was certainly something that caused me a lot of grief and pain and you know probably um I feel resentful from the perspective that it I, I potentially wasn't the best mother that I could be during that period of time too due to my own grief and feeling stuck and being in survival mode um trying to distract and avoid pain by engaging in drinking and socializing much more than I would normally do um, all the things that we, you know, we do to try and avoid and deal with our pain, um, which was even worse in a place like India and Sri Lanka because the psychological support wasn't there or any of the psychosocial supports that I would have had, you know, if I'd settled back in a Western country such as Australia sooner. And I want mm. to ask, a little bit about the children without um, sort of uh, breaching your privacy there. You mentioned you felt you weren't as good a mum as you could have been, which is, is a very old statement, I think, because you were obviously balancing many, many parts of life at the same time. How did the children respond? Were they, were they with you in that grief? Were they able to carry on? Did they respond to this cycle of socialising and, and obviously this relationship of their parents under one roof, under such tension? You know, considering, uh, it's an interesting question in retrospect, you know, I look at it now and think, gosh, you know, they've come out of it quite well and they're well-adjusted teenagers. But I think the, the greater impact was on my son who was at a very formative period of, of his development. You know, he was 13 years old when this happened and his male role model you know, had engaged in this catastrophic uh, behaviour which had destroyed the family. So what that meant for him, I, I can't even really imagine, you know, that this father figure had um, destroyed, you know, the relationship. And for a long time, it's, 
you know, I think it took him a long time to forgive his father for that. And also he, I think he felt a lot of responsibility for the burden of my grief because his father wasn't there. I didn't have the usual supports. Um, and he's such a loving young man. And he, you know, was very present for me and often doing a lot of the comforting and things. And I think that was, you know, quite detrimental ultimately to his mental health. He ended up developing severe anxiety and OCD. And this was even more complicated by the fact that he had also identified as being homosexual as well um, in a country like India. So there were all these different compl complicated factors in our family life that just, I think, you know, considering my, my children have have turned out pretty well <laughs> but we have now returned to a western country and they do have a lot more stability and a lot more routine and normalcy in their lives and they're not exposed to those behaviors that they were seeing in India and Sri Lanka of the partying the drinking the absent parents um I mean, of course, that's the other part of this, that for a lot of these families, for a lot of these children, their parents are essentially absent. They go on every evening or off on work trips or, you know, it's amazing um, how quickly things change, how, how you change from being a really responsible and present parent to getting distracted by the ritz and glitz and charm of, of having fun and being very unable to do so. And do you think that people, you know, let me reframe that. Do you think that the shift from perhaps that more normal family, stable life in their home country, you know, they arrive in these countries and they are sort of catapulted into this world that you're describing. Do you think that shift is a unilateral does it sort of fall on everyone and b is it something they're conscious of is this a conscious decision or is this something that is just sort of you're, you're carried with a wave of of change given the social context around you i think yes you do very much get get caught up in in the wave of you know what everyone else is doing um and it's you know you don't do it with the intention of losing yourself but you know, as we know, with alcohol and drugs, that's very much um, the risk that you can develop alcoholism or dependence on these things, which, you know, for me certainly had started to happen towards the latter of my time in Sri Lanka. It had become very much a, um, a coping mechanism for me because I felt very alone. And I think being a woman in those countries and being alone and being middle-aged um, was particularly challenging as well. And I want to just unpack a little bit when you talk about alcoholism, um, having had mm. discussions around this addiction in various forms. When you talk about alcoholism, you know, people will have um, a stereotypical response based on their context as to what that means. And that can be in, you know, many different areas from sort of locking yourself in the house with a bottle of something to violence, to drunken disorderly behavior. You know, there are many definitions of that depending on where our listeners are tuning in from today. Can you talk a little bit about what, what you're defining? Help people understand when you talk about this alcoholism, how does it look when you're in it? 
Well, I think what's important to understand is that, you know, at the root of all addiction is some sort of pain or trauma. And that's an aspect of addiction that is overlooked. It's heavily stigmatized. People are shamed um, when actually it is an illness and it is often driven by, you know, a need to avoid or numb pain. Um, that was certainly my experience in the end. What was fun initially, you know, quickly became a way to avoid the deep emotional state or pain that I was experiencing. Um, it becomes kind of the reliable friend that is always there for you. Um, and that wouldn't necessarily happen, I don't think, in your own networks, or, or for me, certainly, if I'd been in a more supported environment, I don't think that I would have fallen down that rabbit hole so much. And I feel very fortunate that it's something that I have been able to pull myself back from. Um, but I have certainly, I, I certainly wasn't unique in, in my experience of that. I saw a lot of what I would term functional alcoholics, um, you know, during my, my expat years and people behaving very irresponsibly in front of their young children and drug taking and all kinds of things. And, you know, had spoken to a lot of expat friends about this too and their observation of it and how easy infidelity and, and all of these things become in those circumstances. Um, I mean, some of the stories, you know, you literally could write a book about bed hopping and wild parties and orgies and all kinds of you know crazy stuff that you just 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 doesn't happen in the suburbs of Australia you know <laughs> at this age it's it's just it, it's the dark side of expat life I think that is very tempting and swallows people you know um, it swallows them and sometimes they're never able to escape that cycle sadly. And do you think part of that is due to the lack of repercussions of one's actions because they feel that they are living a separate life from the life back at home? Well, yes, I do. And it also, as I said, it's that often, you know, if you are a trailing spouse, it becomes even more difficult because you don't have to get out of bed in the morning and go to work or, you know, attend to household duties necessarily um certainly there were lots of people who had very young children who were in a very different circumstance to mine but um you know mine were off at school all day every day so mm. the, the consequences weren't as extreme as they they would be you know back in a in a country where you have a nine to five job and and responsibilities that you need to attend to daily you can very easily lose yourself and of course, we're, as we mentioned in the introduction, we are painting the, or not painting, sharing the, the darker side of expat life. But do you also believe that there are, are positives? And um, how do people avoid falling into this trap? Having lived through it for, for many years and gone through separation, divorce, segregation, loneliness, alcoholism, some really big mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your advice now to to people that that want to live this life, that want to experience the world, but you know, perhaps are listening today and are thinking, "Gosh, well, this all sounds pretty horrendous." Mm. What's your advice? What's your take on that? It's 
again something that is a there's no straightforward answer to that I think because people's motivations for following that type of lifestyle are, are often very different for us it was a career-driven thing uh, we were taken there by virtue of my husband's job um, but I think there's a lot of digital nomads these days that engage in it because of the the ability to roam and to have an adventure and to you know all of those things and and for many it does work but from what I observed particularly in Sri Lanka I think a lot of people engage in that lifestyle because they're running away from something um you know they're running away from some trauma or deep-rooted pain that they think a change of location will will help them deal with but often it doesn't and in fact you know makes the situation even worse because those usual support systems aren't there and you know that party scene it again swallows people up so it really does depend on, on what your motivation is for for doing it I think um, there are lots of wonderful things about it and despite some of the the dark things that I have talked about I also feel very grateful for the wonderful travel opportunities some of the incredible friendships that were formed as part of my journey and I think that is one of the really nice things too about the expat life is that because your family system isn't right there for you you quickly um, can form deep bonds with people who become like family you become family to each other and that is a very special and unique thing I think that doesn't necessarily happen in our countries of origin so easily um, and I think you know in terms of my children despite the, the the many difficulties we went through they they have you know in years to come I hope they will reflect on the, the incredible experiences that they they got to have um, you know, traveling to forts and palaces in Rajasthan and, you know, bathing with elephants in the river in Kerala and incredible things that they, they got to do that, um, you know, many, many children could only ever dream of. So it's certainly not all bad. Um, I think children also can develop, well, the, the whole concept or topic of third culture kids is another topic entirely, but I think you know, they can develop some really good skills around being able to adapt to situations and stresses and, um, you know, having to make new social connections um, and constant change. I think that's an, a valuable skill for life. And of course, many of these realities you've discussed around affairs and divorces and all of these things could just as likely happen in a home country. So, um, you know, I think we can't uh, frame the traveling, the traveling life, the diplomatic life um, as the only cause, of course, for, for many of these things. Many children will go through similar realities in their home countries as yeah. well. Um, yeah. I wanted to spend the last, you know, sort of few minutes of our conversation talking about healing from that, because mm -hmm. you now have relocated back to a form of a home country. You are no longer um, mm -hmm. in India or Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you have begun to heal from those years through mm -hmm. your separation and divorce and back into becoming an independent woman, mother and professional. 
Um, I think I had to wait until I was in a state of readiness to to make that move. Um, I didn't relocate home until four years after my separation from my husband. So it it took a long time for me to make the decision that it was time to go. Um, and the, the reasons for that, as I said, are multifaceted. I wanted to, to um, my children to have their father present in their lives for as long as possible. But I came to the realization that it wasn't in my best interest to remain in a country like that that was holding back my career, um, my prospects of repartnering. There were many challenges that, you know, whilst I'd managed to heal a lot from the grief of the loss of the marriage, um, there were other aspects of my life that just couldn't be healed in, in a place like that. Um, and for me, it's it's been a, a big transition, but one that I think um, it, it hasn't been without challenge, but certainly, you know, it is allowing me to redevelop my sense of self and meaning and purpose and rebuild my career and to have independence as well, because I was still very reliant on my ex-husband for as long as I remained there financially, emotionally, it was an unhealthy dynamic that was holding me back. So having distance from that has allowed me, I think, to individuate from that kind of really toxic dynamic and reconnect with those parts of myself that are very resourceful and resilient and independent and adventurous and understanding that I have choices, that I can, you know, still have adventures and um, do things the way I want to do them. It just looks different to what I thought it would. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think healing is from something like that is not easy in any circumstance. Um, but it was particularly complicated for me because of the choices I made. I think in staying behind. So here is a. A relatively big question after the story you've just shared and I am I'm wondering whether you have the answer but mm -hmm. uh, given the choice to go again in the future to mm -hmm. potentially become an expat again to to travel again would you do it I would yes but I wouldn't do it to my children um, if I was to choose uh, something like that again it would be when they had finished school and were independently leading their lives um, because they do for the first time have a sense of stability they are going to be in the same school with the same set of friends for the remainder of their school years which I think is really valuable and important for them um, but would I go again yes probably absolutely um, and there's every chance I will someday you know I really do love travel and adventure I particularly love Asia and the chaos and the the food the people the culture um, I think if I was to have a work opportunity that would take me overseas in the future that I would I would take it but I don't know that I would do it as a trailing spouse again knowing where it can lead and what that can look like I've, I think for me the personal cost was too great um, I would need to do it in my own terms. 
mm-hmm. with the ability to, to completely financially support myself independently um, or to be employed overseas or whatever that might look like. But uh, I definitely wouldn't want to be reliant on somebody else again. I wouldn't put myself in that situation. Um, yeah. And for me, it's sorry. I was just gonna, I was just going to add for for me, what it taught me was that I am a, a woman who does need to have her own career, who does need meaning and purpose. Um, if I don't have that, I'm I'm not happy. I'm not a happy person. I'm not living my my life journey or my my journey principle, and and that's really important for my own mental health and inner peace. And um, you know, that, that was probably the biggest learning of all, that as glamorous and tempting as it, as it seemed at the time, uh, in retrospect, it does come at personal cost for, for trailing spouses, there's no doubt. What an unbelievably powerful way to end. And I, I thank you very much for sharing such a deep and personal story. What I took away today amongst the, the many themes is how important that personal purpose and direction is as an independent woman or of course man in in your relationship Mm -hmm. being able to stay true to who you are and what you need to thrive I also Mm -hmm. took away what is a seemingly quite basic but yet so powerful principle which you touched on earlier which is the need for routine the need Mm -hmm. for direction in your daily life and you know what can seem to be a very appealing opportunity which is to you know, give up the nine to five, travel the world, live in a hot country, you know, do what you want with your days. But yet, mm-hmm. what a cost that can come with. Um, and then mm-hmm. finally, that balance of of choice and independence against value. And, and what I mean by that is, you seemingly have open choices to fill your days, but somehow that's coming at the cost of your independence and your independence of that decision making. And of course, the values that you hold or at least held true before you embarked on that adventure. So some really phenomenal themes, I think, coming out there for anyone that is thinking of becoming an expat or traveling the world as a mother or a trailing spouse. Um, But also ending on that positive note there where you said you would go again, you would go again, you would see the world on different terms. There is much to be taken from that opportunity that the world holds out there as long as you're going into it with the right principles in place. So my my last question is around um, one of the key parts of the show, which is remaining anonymous. Would you like to remain anonymous for today's show? Uh, Yes, please. (laughs) Thank you very much. So thank you very much to the listeners for joining us in this show. I hope that has brought some empathy, some understanding from your side as to what traveling life, expat life can really be like some of the things that are behind the Instagram photos and the posts that so many willingly sit and scroll through. But I would also like to open up the invitation to come and join the show yourself if you have a similar story or if you have similar experiences which were far from expat life because as we touched on earlier, you don't have to travel to experience some of the realities we've touched on today. But meanwhile, thank you very much for joining Mimi Yu Yu, for tapping into our guest's story today, to using your empathy and your understanding and to leaning into an experience that was perhaps very different from your own. We will see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us today on Mimi UU. This episode is one in a series that has been designed to create empathy in our world. If you would like to join us on the show, please click on www.joinmimiuu.com or follow us across social media at Mimi UU Show. I believe that the more the world talks about empathy, the more empathy the world will have. And I hope that this show is the beginning of doing just that.